Hi, I'm Michael Miller, and this is Speaking of Meditation. Join me for interesting conversations with fascinating people who meditate, why they do it, and how it's changed their lives. I definitely feel better when I meditate, sleep better, and everything is better. It's actually had long-term effects on, on my being on every level. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Frank Lipman. I met Frank in 2018 and taught him and his entire team to meditate. Since then, we've stayed close, and he's sent many of his patients along to learn. For almost 40 years, Frank has guided people to help them feel healthier, look great, and increase energy and resiliency to better deal with life stresses. As a leader in functional medicine, Frank practices what he calls good medicine, a blend of cutting-edge modern modalities with age-old healing techniques from the East, creating, together with the patient, a personal health care plan. This integrative approach takes into account physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and social well-being. Frank's a New York Times best-selling author. His recent books include Better Sleep, Better You, The New Rules of Aging Well, and How to Be Well, The Six Keys to a Happy and Healthy Life. So, speaking of meditation, here's Frank. Hi, Frank. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm really well. It's it's wonderful to hear your voice and and see your face on on video. Um, gosh, how did I do with your introduction? Is is that overall yeah. a, a reflection yeah. of of who you are and what you're doing now? Yeah. Well, you, you left the latest part out. Now we sort of going to the the, the next iteration of medicine. Oh, tell me. Well, where we sort of using wearables to add to everything, you know. So, are you? We use blood tests, and we now we use genetics, which is relatively new. new and now we use wearables from continuous blood glucose monitors, sleep monitor, you know, how to monitor sleep. So we can actually monitor people on a sort of minute by minute basis, which is very fascinating to me. Uh, this that, that must be fascinating. It's it's something that I've talked to other people about striking a balance between tuning into oneself, which might be the more more where traditional medicine leans. You know, are you able to detect what's going on in your own body versus medicine, which was sort of objective measurement, but now it sounds like you're blending the two in the sense that you are measuring yourself and responding to that. Yeah, exactly. So now, um, you know, maybe for a lot of your people who are very tuned into their bodies, it's not as helpful. But, you know, you can wear this little ring and you can meditate or you can see what happens and how your, your what's called heart rate variability which is basically an indirect uh, measurement of stress, how meditation affects your heart rate variability, um, how certain foods affect your blood sugar. Um, if you drink alcohol, how it affects your sleep. So it's actually very interesting because people can get, you know, very uh, clear, direct feedback almost immediately from, from what they're doing. So I, I find that quite fascinating. Maybe because I was getting bored with all the other stuff. Not bored, but you know, it's always good to bring in new um, 
information. You know, I've always been intrigued by how do you incorporate, whether it's ancient techniques, lifestyle changes, and what whatever helps people. And I find, you know, when when people get that, you know, direct feedback almost immediately, it's quite powerful. Well, that that is really in, in, intriguing, and I'm intrigued by going back actually because. You know, I said in the intro about in in '84 you were in the U.S. and you started to explore this. And for the medical world, that was quite early when it came to so-called alternative. I wonder what what was happening for you then, and maybe even before. I mean, you grew up in South Africa, and in the bush, maybe you were exposed to natural remedies or other modalities that that created an openness would would you say and or what would you say about that yeah exactly i think i was lucky enough to grow up in south africa which was a really screwed up place at the time i mean we we everywhere screwed up at the moment but um i was lucky enough to be exposed to um sangomas or or these traditional healers in, in, in African culture and, and um, actually notice that sometimes when we couldn't help the patient, they were helping people. So I was being trained in Western medicine and, and having, you know, using Western medicine and then seeing that Western medicine was wonderful at acute care and crisis care when people broke their bones and well, they needed emergency surgery Um Western medicine was fantastic, and that's what we were doing in the bush. But at the same time, I was noticing that these traditional healers were helping some of these people that we had no idea how to help. And I thought it was all um, psychological and emotional, which it may have been. Um, but it did open my mind. Um, and uh, at the same time, I, I grew up in in a in a very interesting household where I was exposed to to black culture and and um, and other ways and um, so I, I was already open to the music and other aspects of of African culture and probably at the same time I did too many drugs when I was younger which really opened up my mind <laughs> to to realize that there's, there's what is reality. So I think all those things together, too many drugs when I was younger, you know, growing up in a very open um, sort of liberal household and then being exposed to all of this, it was just, it, you know, I didn't, it, it just sort of just happened. That is a, that seems like a very unusual combination of factors that would lead to med school. Yeah, well, this was sort of after meds, during and after med school. Yeah. Okay. You know, I grew up in a very medical family. So, you know, I was sort of automatically went to medical school. I didn't even know I wanted to go to medical school. It was just what the smart kids did. You know, you, get, you just went to me. My brother went. I was going. I never really thought about it or really even thought about wanting to be a doctor per se. It was just, you know. Uh, I think my parents would say that uh, growing up in South Africa during apartheid, you're not going to want to live here. You're going to want to leave. Having a medical degree is a good degree to, you know, go live wherever you want. So I think that was the rationale. So I just went to medical school without really knowing I wanted to be a doctor. And then all of this sort of came together sort of during medical school and after medical school. 
And then you ended up in the Bronx, which also would be, you know, a little bit, which would also be a little bit outside perhaps the expected trajectory. How did that happen? That happened because, um, you know, I always knew I wanted to leave South Africa. And um, an old, a, a woman that I knew from, from school um, was happened to be working for a, a lawyer in New York. And uh, I heard she was in South Africa and she was helping doctors get into America. And I went to speak to her and she said to me, you can go two routes. You can go the traditional South African doctor route where they go to the top hospitals and they struggle to get a green card. Or I know this particular hospital in the South Bronx that if you're a South African doctor and they like you, they'll sponsor you for a green card. Because in those days, in 1984, the South Bronx was still what they labeled a shortage area. American doctors didn't want to go work there because it was such a rough area. So if you, if the hospital wanted you to come and work in the hospital, they would sponsor you for a green card. And the head of the Department of Medicine um, was very aware of it, and um, he couldn't get good American doctors. So he would take doctors like me, whether from England, from South Africa, from India, and sponsor them for a green card. So he built up a good internal medicine department by getting foreign doctors to come work at the hospital. That must have been a fascinating, diverse world. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of used to it because I'd come from, you know, I'd worked in Soweto and I'd worked in the bush. I'd worked in rough areas in South Africa. So this was sort of similar in a way. So, yeah, but it was a great, introduction to America. I mean, I'm very grateful that I did it. Um, and not only was it a, from, you know, just because of the d- diversity, but that's where I really got exposed to acupuncture. There was happened to be an acupuncture clinic, little did I know when I took the job, attached to the hospital. They were doing drug detox for heroin and crack addicts, which was epidemic in the Bronx, at, that's in, in New York at that stage. So there happened to be an acupuncture clinic. So, you know, while I was doing my residency and got disillusioned with American medicine, I went to check out this acupuncture clinic, which was doing drug detox and it was attached to the hospital. So it was all synchronicity. I mean, you know, how it all happened when I look back was really interesting. And that is interesting. And the the combination of disillusionment with the American healthcare system, which, you know, as an American who now lives in the UK, you know, I'm amazed at the, at the difference. And, and I can imagine for, for you, that would have been a shock to the system. And yet it was within that system that you saw acupuncture and then went on to study that. Yes. Yeah, so what happened was, you know, and, and you, you in Britain, so South African doctors are trained in the British system, which is very different. You know, we don't have all the money to do all the tests, so you've got to take a good history and listen to a patient. The GP is important. It's a very different training to America, and that's part of why I was disillusioned. So what happened was I had to do three years in internal medicine to get a license in New York. So I was doing my three years in internal medicine and because I was disillusioned, I went to check out the acupuncture clinic. And um, 
you know, fell in love with acupuncture. You know, I walked into this, you know, the first time I went, I walked into this burnt out building and I saw about 50 uh, heroin addicts sitting quietly with needles in their ears. And these were the same type of patients that we were dealing with in the hospital. In the hospital, you know, the heroin addicts would come in for various, you know, they were pretty sick when they came in. But because um, they were in the hospital and they couldn't do the heroin or crack, they often were withdrawing. So they were very difficult to deal with. They were shouting and screaming and pulling out their IVs. And, you know, they, you know, drug addiction, drug withdrawal is not easy. So I saw the difference in, you know, the same type of patients being treated in the acupuncture clinic, sitting calmly, and these, you know, heroin addicts withdrawing and like going crazy in the wards. And I went, wow, this is interesting. I need to check this out. So that was my first introduction. Well, now I had sort of been away in South Africa, but my real first introduction to acupuncture, and that made me more interested in in learning acupuncture. And, and so I started going back and forth between the hospital and the acupuncture clinic. And, you know, in my spare time, you know, learning acupuncture and while I was doing my residency and I noticed, you know, in 1984 that, you know, the, the hospital was wonderful at once again, acute care and crisis care, but not very good at treating chronic problems. And the acupuncture clinic was pretty good at treating those chronic problems, the constipation and the fatigue and the headaches that Western medicine wasn't good at. So it was very obvious then, I didn't have to be that smart, to see that the future of medicine would be some combination of using acupuncture when it's appropriate and Western medicine when it's appropriate. So that was when I realized that the future would be some combination. And I went on this um, path of exploring from acupuncture, then I went to meditation and yoga and nutrition and a whole host of things because I saw that, you know, Western medicine was great at a very sort of small part of what people were complaining of. But, you know, it was, and, and, and acupuncture wasn't particularly good at that either. So there was obviously the future was combining them in some way. And then the next 30 years were, how do you combine them? 40 years, whatever, I don't know, 40 now. <laughs> whatever it is at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you say you didn't have to be that smart to see the combination, but and in fact, I think you did. In You had to have a clarity of vision because there were a lot of people that were seeing one or the other, but never the twain were coming together. And, and to see that that could be bridged does seem like something that not everyone detected um yeah yeah yes and no i mean i also think growing up in south africa in a in a rotten system when you know the system is rotten um but you're still living in the system and so so for me to rebel against the western medical system was just an extension of the way i grew up knowing the system is rotten that you know why why should you trust the medical system just because it happens to be the system, you know, same mm -hmm. as the South African uh, system or the government, um, the political system. So I, to me, it was just an extension of my rebellious nature in a way, you know, <laughs> growing up in, in that world. You know, I think it, 
I think all of these things come together. Do you know what I mean? It's not, uh, you know, so it just sort of just happened. I, I wasn't really thinking about, um, yeah, anyway, I, it just happened. That's all I can say, yeah. I, that's it's interesting that distrust in or dislike of the political system was expansive into other systems in your life and and allowed you to see through it or or see it clearly and and explore different options. I wanted to come back to something you said before about the the traditional tribal doctors in in the bush. What was the the name for them again? Sangomas. Sangomas are sort of African traditional healers in South Africa. And that some of that, what they were doing might have been kind of just suggestion or at the level of, of emotion. And, you know, a lot of people talk about placebo effect and, and with a little disparagement, I wonder what your view is on on placebo when it comes to the combination of, of Western and, and other modalities? Well, to me, placebo effect is just your body healing itself. Um, so I actually have a very positive view of the placebo effect. You know, my whole modus operandi is how do I stimulate someone's placebo effect? You know, and if, you know, um, and actually, doctors do that without even realizing it. When they give antibiotics for viral infections, a lot of in, people go with sore throats and problems to a doctor, um, and they get given antibiotics which don't work for viruses anyway, and they get better. Are they getting better because they believe in the doctor and the antibiotic, or are they just getting better, you know, because of the antibiotics? So I think you know, the art of medicine should be about stimulating the placebo effect. So. I'm not sure what they were doing because I was so, in those days, you know, I was young. I wasn't, you know, I was still brainwashed by my medical training. I thought it was all nonsense, but I did see people getting better. So I thought it, it was all placebo or whatever. You know, having said that, you know, a lot of them, you know, used to have, you know, I have a picture of outside one of the Sangomas where some, a woman is actually uh, stamping, stomping, crushing herbs outside. So they had a whole herbal formulary, but I just didn't know anything about it. So I, I can't say what they were doing, to be quite honest, because I didn't really understand or look deeper. I was just intrigued by the fact um, that they did get better. So I guess that is that's good science, paying attention to outcome and then yeah. backing up and seeing what's producing that outcome. Yeah, and in those days, I was not, you know, I was young and I was sort of still um, brainwashed or, or whatever the word, but I saw how powerful Western medicine is. You know, you come out of a hospital and you're fixing broken bones and, you know, when I was working in the bush, we were doing caesarean sections for emergency deliveries. We were doing append appendicectomies. You were doing this, right? you know, this... Um, uh, the Western medicine that works. I was still, you know, a major, major believer in Western medicine. I had no idea that there were other ways. I just happened to notice that, you know, so as I, as I got older and wiser and more aware and I looked back, it, it became easier for me to see. But when I was there in the moment, it was just, 
interesting culturally more than medically. Mm, mm. And then with acupuncture, starting to have direct experience in in the healing properties of it and, and learning the modality yourself. There was some study of herbal medicines then as as well. And what did you find with that? Yeah, I mean, th- then it was clearer because I was working in the clinic and you were giving someone acupuncture, you were giving them herbs and they were coming back and they were getting better. And they were getting better usually with problems that we couldn't help in Western medicine. So then it was a no-brainer to see. Um, uh, but in the early days, it was much more difficult, and partly because I wasn't that interested in the medicine part. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you had your medicines, you had the pharmaceuticals prior to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. it, it, was, uh, it was a different situation. And also, I was working close. I wasn't just going to visit a Sangoma, you know, because I was interested in the cultural aspect. I was mm. like working with patients, I, I, you know, and I, I actually used to sometimes see at the Sangoma some of the people we, we would see in the clinic who we thought were psychos and were getting better. So it was interesting more than anything else for me in those days. And then when you actually start doing it and seeing actual um, patients getting better, then it's like, oh, well, this is not, no, this is real. Mm. And tell me about your encounter with, or your early encounters with, with meditation. Because when we met, you said, "Well, I've tried this for years, and I've never really clicked with it." What What were those attempts? Yeah, so you know, being interested in Chinese medicine and Eastern philosophies, I obviously got interested in in Buddhism and meditation. And uh, I went down the route of, you know, from John Kabat-Zinn and, and um, uh, sort of mindfulness was sort of the meditation. I went and I went to workshops and I tried to do it and I struggled because it's quite difficult, especially when you've got a monkey mind like mine, like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I struggled with, um, with uh, the meditation. and. Um, and I always sort of looked down on mantra meditation. I thought that was like, it, it just, you know, I thought, I, I don't know what I thought, but I didn't think it was what I wanted to do or thought it was helpful. You know, to me, that was TM. You learned a mantra, you paid a lot of money. It was a bit of a ripoff. Um, you know, to, that was my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, but I struggled with mindfulness, although I tried, you know, I did try. And then when I met you, um, and um, I sort of went through and I sort of rolled my eyes in the beginning because of the whole mantra, all that nonsense. And then when I learned that, it's sort of like uh, an easy way to meditate. I mean, I, it, it, I got this aha, wow, that's, you know, it just became easier mm. because when you have a mantra, you've got something just to go back to. So there's a big shift for me um, from being a skeptic from not because I knew, but, you know, I, I had no understanding, to doing it um, because Amelie, the writer of my book, had told me to meet you, and you were kind enough to come teach the office, and I thought, what the hell? And then <laughs> we went through the training, and I realized, well, this is like, uh, 
meditation for dummies. You know, this is like an easy way to learn meditation. <laughs> After all the years, I struggled with mindfulness. So that, that was my experience. I mean, that's sort of the way I saw it. It just made it much easier. Well, I think for so many people, it is a person like it was Emily for you that you you trust and you respect and and you see you know when, when they say I meditate and part of the reason that I am as I am is because of meditation then that perks people's interest in in a different way it was certainly true for me that I saw a friend learn and I saw a change in her over a couple of weeks and then I went to see uh, the man who who then became my teacher, and I just I heard him speak, and I thought, yeah, I'm not sure I'm interested in learning to meditate, but you seem to have something that I want, and we have so many people come and learn because someone recommends, and people think, oh, they've got something I'd like to have, and if meditation is part of that, then I'm I'm willing, <laughs> even right. a slightly cynical. <laughs> Yeah, and I think um, for me it was more meditation, the understanding. I knew, you know, I had a cerebral understanding. I knew meditation was important and was helpful. Um, so it was, you know, you know, but I couldn't really practically get it properly. It never. I mean, occasionally, uh, you know, with my, mindfulness is very. I'm not saying it's a bad technique. It's just it's mm. much harder. Yeah. And for some someone like me, um, I think it's particularly hard, and I, mm. and, I, and I would say that for a lot of people. Um, so I knew it was good for me. I, there was no issue with that. It, my my issue was I just thought it was impossible to do. Yeah. Until <laughs> I, um, you know, I thought I'm just going to have to practice for the next fifty years to get it. Right. Until you know. I met you and you made it sort of like, aha, well, this is easy. And now you've, you have sent a number of, of your, your patients along what, you know, I'm, I'm kind of personally interested. Like, what is it that, that you think, oh, this person, this person, it seems like meditation is the thing. There was a, a man who came along and he had just had his first session with you and, and he emailed and, and said, you know, I just met with Dr. Lippman and he suggested I, I talk to you. What, what is the sort of the flag that goes up that you think, oh, for this person, meditation? So, you know, when I'm working with someone, you're trying to um, like, like go for the low-hanging fruit or get as much bang for your buck as possible because you can't tell people to change their diet, start exercising, you know, um, take these supplements, deal with your stress. You know, you've got to sort of target where people are going to sort of get the most benefit or, or which areas do they need m most help with. For some, for a lot of people, it's diet. Um, for, uh, for many people, it's just um, uh, stress or, you know, stress is a big um, topic, but... Uh, a lot of the people I send to you um, are usually people I think will will get um, either their diets are are fine and they they um, they're exercising but they're still struggling 
but my feeling with a lot of them is meditation or learning to to quiet their learning to control their mind because you know basically meditation is mind control terrible term but basically it's <laughs> mind control and you know a lot of us need mind control i needed mind control you know now i i, I can tame my mind more easily now um so i i think you know there's some people who want the whole you know the spiritual aspect of it but i think a lot of the people i sent to you are people who i think if they can control their mind are going to feel uh, it's going to make life much easier for them their health and and on on many levels mm mm-hmm. that was, so that was something that you noticed in yourself a a quietening of of what you describe as the monkey mind that it settled settled a bit yeah yeah, and how did made, how did that play itself out in in life? Um, less reactive, you know. I, I I used to be I used to sort of lose my temper much more easily. Um, now I, I, it's so much I go with the flow so much more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think with sleep, you know, I'm not like thinking about a million things at night. Um, I'm able to focus my attention much better. Um, you know, and, and listen, I, I I wish I could say I meditate every day. I don't. I go through periods, you know, when, you know, and it, I sort of broke, the, you know, I go through a, a period where I meditate and then my grandson was with us over the vacation and then I'm trying to exercise before he wakes up at 6 uh, that goes out the window and, and you need to get back into it. So I don't meditate all the time and every day. I mean, I go through periods and I need to get back into it. So this is always good to speak to you. It's always a reminder. <laughs> but I mean, even even then, I mean, I definitely feel better when I meditate and sleep better and everything is better. But even now when I'm not meditating, it's it's actually, you know, had long-term effects on on my being on every level. Now, is that just part of getting older? And well, I, I don't know, but I do I do feel it's made a huge difference to to my my capacity to be with people. You know, you know, I can play with my grandson for hours. Now, is that because of meditation? Is that him? I don't know. So I think um um it's made me happier, um, easier to be around. Um, it's it's good for my patients. I'm much more focused. Um, I just think it's it's just a great thing for for myself and everyone around me. Gosh, that's that is really, really good. I, I think a lot of it is meditation, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, there are people who you you said is that age or you know being being around a little a little guy that you really love. There are people who love their children but can't stay focused for very long. There are people who age and from a distance anyway are not getting more wise or more calm, are getting more agitated and and nervous and seem to be buying into conspiracy theories and craziness in a way that isn't in alignment with my idea of what wisdom would look like. So, you know, it, it seems reasonable to draw a connection and if you like it in the moment and it feels good and you feel differently afterwards then you know that 
I think is enough for a lot of people. Just a, a little immediate uplift. Great. That's yeah. good. If there's some bigger arc over time, wonderful as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I do think that the meditation has made a big difference. It's just, I'm saying I can't be sure, but I do feel it. it has been. Yes. Yes. I was reading some of your writing and I wanted to touch on a few things that you talk about that are, are kind of big points. Sugar. Yeah. Sugar's the devil. Sugar is... Um, <laughs> wow, don't pull any punches here. <laughs> sugar is yeah, probably one of the most dangerous drugs in, in our society. Um, unfortunately, uh, we don't really see it as a drug. And it is just as addictive as, you know, we talked about heroin and, and crack and whatever. It's an addictive drug which has severe consequences over time. Now, I'm not saying if you have a bit of sugar and, you know, um, <clears throat> here and there. Uh, the, the problem is there's so much sugar that we're eating on a daily basis. And over time, that triggers all consequences, you know, to your physical health actually, and your um, mental health, emotional health. Um, so it's a big problem, the amount of sugar we're eating and the consequences that we're seeing, whether it's from heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, cancer, sugar is always playing a part in there. Not always, but most of the time. So, and it's a very tangible thing. You know, I've been struggling with sugar for so many years, like meditation. Um mm. So it's not, it gets easier the, the, you know, the, the more you let go of it, but it's a problem and uh, it's not acknowledged by the medical system. It's not acknowledged by our culture. In fact, our culture, you know, you know, I see it with even my grandson and, and my daughter's sort of pretty aware, you know, you know, he loves you, 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 what you give kids to, to reward them is usually sugar. Mm. So I think, it's complicated, the whole sugar aspect, but I think um, sugar is a, and the amount of sugar we eat is a major problem in our health. And just cutting back or stopping sugar as much as you can will make a huge difference to your health. Along these same lines, processed or even ultra processed foods. Yeah, to me, that's all sugar. Mm. Processed foods, ultra processed foods, often turn into sugar. And as you get older, you don't metabolize carbohydrates as well. So even grains can become too much sugar. And especially when you start wearing a continuous blood glucose monitor, which is quite fascinating, and you see what different foods do to your blood sugar, like what a bowl of rice does to your blood sugar. It's like, you know, sometimes increases it more than sugar. Mm. So I think it's, what you know what I mentioned in the beginning the the ability to actually measure these things now you know it was one thing knowing that sugar is a problem and you know the consequences but now you can actually see what you eat and how it affects your sugar um, which is quite fascinating now you can meditate and you can see your heart rate variability will go up or so I, 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 I'm quite intrigued by this place in medicine now where all the things that we recommend you can actually show people you know when i tell people alcohol is really not good for you even though 
you've been told, you know, having a drink or two at night is not a problem. You know, when people realize the consequences of even a drink or two every night on 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 their sleep and, and heart rate variability or even the blood sugar. So that's why I'm intrigued by it because um, it's sort of confirming a lot of the recommendations or, or, or people can get the feedback uh, by themselves of, of what we're recommending. They don't have to believe me. That, I think know, that's they, really, really interesting and, and especially seeing that around alcohol. Because you know both the U.S. and the U.K. have such a a drinks-oriented culture when it comes to socializing, and and we have a lot of people say that when they learn to meditate, they find their consumption goes down a bit. That you know they used to get home from work and want half a glass of wine to help relax, and they get home yes. from work and they meditate, and actually they are relaxed, or they go to a social event, and they used to need that kind of lubrication to feel right. comfortable and that yeah. actually they feel more themselves and more stable and they don't need kind of that, that prop. You know, I always say it is yeah. an intoxicant. It's not a psychotropic. It's not actually changing you. It's impeding your thinking and firing up your system in a way that, you know, feels kind of warm and fuzzy in the moment. but. Um, you're warm because your blood is pumping, trying to clear a toxin out of your system, and you're fuzzy because brain cells are dying. Yeah. So, no, and I agree, and I think meditation is extremely helpful for that. Um, and and the idea that we have in our culture that you know, listen, that when you the context of drinking is important. I think drinking some wine around a family with family and friends. It's good for you, not because of the alcohol, because of the context. Yes. So I definitely don't stop that. But I think people in our cultures drink too much and we see the consequences. And I see the, you know, I see it, you know, over time. You see it in their blood work. You see it in their health. But now people can see it in real time with these wearables, which is interesting. Mm. Another thing along with that, that, that sense of, community around the table with the family you talk about how mood and attitude and you know even particularly laughter makes a big difference in in your personal health what what are you say, seeing when it comes to that yeah it's it's as i always say it's it's uh, um the ordinary things we do on a daily basis that have an extraordinary effect on on our health we just don't see it as medicine, and that would be um, laughing more, being kind to others, um, having gratitude, going for a walk in nature. So, um, and this is what Amelie and I try to sort of lay out in the How to Be Well book. That that's all medicine, you know. We just don't see it as medicine. Mm. Meditation is medicine. Um, uh, laughter is medicine. Being kind to others and to yourself is medicine. So um, I, I'm a big believer in, in these intangibles being just as important for our health as changing your diet or, you know, exercising. Not that those aren't important, but I think all of this is important. Sleep, exercise, diet, 
clearing out what's not good and adding in what is good and that attitude and outlook and doing things that are about feeling well and and positive. It seems like a pretty amazing message. When I think about if someone's living a life like that, it sounds generally like a nicer experience as well as a healthier one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a much nicer experience and healthy. I mean, when I look at the older patients of mine who are healthy, almost all of them, yes, some may not eat as well. I think when I look at these older people who are healthy, almost all of them have some, they're doing something that's meaningful to them, whether it's spending time with their family or working for a nonprofit or teaching or something in their work. It doesn't have to be what they do at work. Um, but usually there's something meaningful for them. They're passionate about something. Um, and yes, they may be eating well. Some don't eat well. They may not be active. There's usually a combination of, of things, but they don't all eat well, exercise, meditate, um, sleep well. Um, but they all have some meaning and some passion um, in their life. There's something meaningful that they do every day that sort of you know makes life worth living for them. Well, I think that that is a, a beautiful place to stop finding finding and and actually practicing meaning in in your life. And and clearly, you are that person who has has found that and and i i so appreciate and and uh, and and thank you for what i witness which is you giving back both individually you know i've i've been in your office and seen you interact with people but also at the level of your really fantastic books that i that i recommend people uh have have a look at they're easy to find and they're easy to read but sort of deceptively easy in the sense that maybe a little bit like meditation it's simple and it's straightforward but the effects are profound and and i i found that a confirmation of what makes sense and then greater clarity and depth around it that i get in your books has has made me change my my lifestyle and be more in alignment with what I kind of knew was right, but it gave me specifics. And so I, I thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for everything. And thank you for like, teaching me to meditate properly. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, it's really, really love to, lovely to speak with you. And uh, I'll look forward to uh, being in person together again b- before too long. And uh, as, as you said, maybe a little reminder Back, back on the everyday meditation even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, or whenever I see you, it's, uh, I'll get back on track. It's interesting, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's always at the right time. Thanks very much, Frank. Thanks. Okay, bye now. Bye. Speaking of Meditation is written and produced by me, Michael Miller, with direction by Jillian Lavender and assistance from Emma Ray. Editing is by James Green at Green Podcast Productions. Original music written and performed by Rich Jacques. Graphics by L&L. Speaking of meditation, what are you noticing? Who's benefiting? And how are you staying inspired? <laughs>